Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, we've been talking about day four of creation. And in our most previous program, we left off considering verse 14 of Genesis 1, which indicates why God created the sun, moon, and stars. That's right. If we read carefully what God is saying twice in this one verse, God tells us that he put the sun, moon, and stars there for a few reasons. So uh, let's read verse 14, and we'll see why God created the sun, moon, and stars. Genesis 1, 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens in order to separate the day from the night. Now, I put the in order. My Bible just says mm-hmm. two, but that's a purpose clause, we call it. So he puts the lights in the expanse of the heavens for the purpose of separating day from night. And then he expands on the reason for creating the sun, moon, and stars. The second half of verse 14, and he says, and let them be for this purpose. Again, I'm expanding it a little bit, but that could be translated that way very legitimately. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So far more than just separating day from night, God says that these lights in the expanse of the heavens, the sun, moon, and stars are for signs and seasons and days and years. And of course, how is it that we keep track of the years? Well, we keep track of the earth going around the sun, one full orbit, that's a year. How do we keep track of the days? Well, we keep track of the earth spinning and we count the hours, if you want to say that. By the way, I think these are 24-hour days. (laughs) And uh, we know that that's a day because we watch the sun rise, we watch it set, and we watch it rise again. It's interesting that at the end of every creation day, it says, and there was evening and there was morning, one day, two days, and so forth. So God is very much in tune with this idea of the earth turning. And of course, by observing the moon, you can tell what time of the month it is. That's right, the time of the month. And we also keep track of seasons because of the phase of the moon and where we are in our orbit around the sun. But you know which one I find to be most fascinating is when he says that the sun, moon, and stars, the purpose of these stellar bodies would be for signs. We usually think of signs in the the miraculous sense. We even call them miraculous signs or sign miracles. But when we think of the sun, moon, and stars from the perspective of, okay, so God used them for miraculous signs, I don't really come up with very many in the Bible where God was using the sun, moon, and stars to demonstrate miraculous power. Can you think of any, Scott? Well, how about the sun standing still? Yeah, that was in Joshua's day, right? Mm -hmm. And now that was an impressive miracle. The day uh, just didn't stop. Now, in one sense, we might say that the sun stood still, and I think that that's perfectly legitimate because the Bible uses the language of appearance. But actually, what seems to have happened was God caused the earth to quit spinning. Now, so there's a couple of miracles involved in that. Well, absolutely. I mean, gravity and everything would have been flying off the earth. So <laughs> anyway, it only can be explained by an incredible supernatural act of God. But the idea that God is saying that the sun, moon, and stars were for signs, if that is limited to the idea of miraculous signs, I just find it pretty amazing that God would actually include that in the list of the purpose for sun, moon, and stars. And we could point to so few astronomical, if we were to use that word, miracles. We've got the days of Joshua, you know, and the earth actually turning backwards, the shadow going backwards for Hezekiah. That's another one. And perhaps the star of Bethlehem, God maybe just put that star there. Might have been a comet. There's several explanations. Maybe we'll talk about that at another time. But in the big picture of things, the sign miracles being associated with the sun, moon, and stars are are few and far between. But 
what I think uh, we should understand God to be meaning here goes far beyond just miraculous signs. Because when you think about it, what is a sign? In just the normal sense of the word that we use, a sign is simply something that communicates a lot of information with Mm -hmm. just a quick glance, right? You don't have to have a whole big, long paragraph. There'll be a simple sign there on the side of the road or something, and we learn a lot from that simple sign. Watch your speed. You are here. Anything like that. Right. And what it does generally will point us in a direction. Well, when we think about the sign value of the stars... What direction do the stars point us in? Well, they point us in the direction of God. And I find this to be a fascinating use, especially of the stars, for God in communicating things about himself to the human heart. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's exactly right, Scott. The heavens declare the glory of God. And of course, that is a quotation from Psalm 19. And what we're going to be doing for the next few minutes is looking at several different biblical passages that essentially are referring to this sign value of the stars, as I like to refer to it. So let's turn to that first passage that you've mentioned, Scott. It's Psalm 19 and verse 1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. What a magnificent verse that is you know, relating to us, that thing that we all internally sense. Sometimes you, you can't even necessarily describe it, but when we look up, We just get that sense of the vast expanse and how we recognize that a great and powerful God had to have been behind that incredible expanse of stars. Yeah, go out in a field, out in the country on a a clear night and look up and you see this giant dome. I mean, your knees will almost buckle. (laughs) You know, it's a communication by God to the human heart that is referred to several times by David. Of course, David wrote this Psalm 19 And he's almost trying to put into words how that communication from God is done without hearing it in our ears. Let's keep reading in Psalm 19 and see what it goes on to say. It says, day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. And then here in verse three, he makes this sort of astounding statement, almost beyond belief. He goes, there is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. So he's sort of you know, expressing this idea. It's not that God is saying, hey, I am great, here I am, you know. But looking at the stars, God communicates his greatness to us through them. And I would submit to you that that's this sense of the sign value, the sign of the stars that God communicates greatness to us through them. Now, this isn't the only psalm that even David wrote where he's just amazed at the stars and the greatness of God that is displayed through them. Another wonderful psalm that David himself wrote is Psalm 8. Verse 1 of Psalm 8 says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth, who has displayed thy splendor above the heavens. So you get this sense that David is looking up again at that dome of stars, and he's just in awe of the majesty of God as his glory is displayed in those heavens. Move on to verse 3 of Psalm 8. And he says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou dost take thought of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? So David's response is, as he looks up and sees this vast expanse of stars, and he thinks of it almost as just God's finger work, 
Mm. You know, in our last program, we were talking about how in Genesis chapter one, verse 17, it speaks of God hanging or placing the sun, moon, and stars in heaven. And we referred to it as the idea that, you know, next time you hang some Christmas ornaments (laughs) on the tree, think of God placing the sun, moon, and stars in space. Here, David is talking about God's finger work. Did you ever do any finger painting in school? Yes, it was pretty sloppy, though. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you just take that paint and you swirl it around on the paper. David is almost referring to God placing the galaxies of stars there like we would finger paint. Mm. Or something else that I often think of when I think about God's finger work. Whenever you go to a gas station, you know, why is it the gas stations very, very seldom have paper towels, you know? <laughs> so you wash your hands and you're flicking the water oh, off of yeah. your fingers. Imagine God maybe flicking those galaxies off the fingertips of his hands. Hmm. That's the imagery that David gives us here. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers. And so in thinking of God's power displayed in the creation of the stars and galaxies, of course, I don't know that David understood galaxies. We've learned about galaxies uh, much, much later. But just the stars of our galaxy that we can see. When he thought of the power of God displayed in those heavens, he then goes on to say, And so, what is man that thou dost take thought of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? When we are confronted with the power of God displayed in those heavens, when the sign value of the stars really connects to our hearts, we are humbled before that great creator. And I believe that this is one of the most important purposes that God had for that, especially vast expanse of stars in space to humble us before him as we recognize his power, and yet to realize that though he is great, he cares deeply for you and for me. You know, it's not just David inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us these wonderful psalms, these wonderful passages that essentially expand upon this idea of the sign value of the stars. I want to read a very interesting quotation from Abraham Lincoln, hmm. a believer in the Lord, a believer in God's word, and also a believer in the fact that creation declares the glory of God. This is a statement by Abraham Lincoln in reference to the whole idea of believing in God or not. You know, is there a God? He says this, I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon earth and be an atheist, but I cannot conceive how he could look up into the heavens and say, there is no God. That's a really interesting contrast, isn't it? Because as we do look around ourselves here on earth, uh, what do we see? Well, if you live in a city, especially, Scott, (laughs) you said you got to go out into the country. In a city, you can't see the Milky Way. You're lucky to see Orion's belt because of the light pollution and the air pollution. And as we look around ourselves in the cities, we see basically the creation of man. And so often it's dirty We see the sin of man, man's perpetration of evil upon one another. And so as Abraham Lincoln said there, it's not so tough to, I guess, be an atheist if you look around and don't see any evidence of God, but you see the evidence of man and man's sin. But looking up into the heavens, as he says, how could anyone not believe that there's a God? Well, you know, people do. But what they do is they convince themselves by other means that indeed there is no God. And this is precisely what Paul is speaking of in Romans chapter 1. So starting in verse 18, it refers to the heavens here. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. 
Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Now, this is a very strong statement. It isn't just even a passive idea that, uh, well, we sort of look up into the heavens and sort of know that there's a God. God is saying that he makes his wrath, he makes his character evident. He does the work as we look up into those heavens. But what does man do? He suppresses the truth. And so then in verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. And so it is truly amazing how the heart of man can respond in almost opposite extremes to that glory revealed in heaven. One might respond by suppressing the truth and still insisting that indeed there is no God, while the other with David would say, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou dost take thought of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.